This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're right here every day bringing you the latest news from the worlds of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. And of course, Carol, that's part of a team of 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. And Jason, you can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio every weekday. Or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News. Let's get into it because our next guest understands the apparel and fashion industry. Unlike most, he's worked in that world for 40 years, many different capacities and with varying responsibilities. Alan Ellinger is co-founder of the investment bank MMG. They have advised on more than $5 billion worth of M&A deals globally, and they work with consumer product, retail and fashion companies. I've also known Alan socially for a few years. He joins us on the phone uh, on this Tuesday. Um, Alan, nice to have you here with us. Uh, tell us a little bit about your world and what it's like been uh, what it's like what it's been like in the lockdown. Uh, it's been unlike anything I've ever experienced before. Hi, Carol. Hi, Jason. Hi. Hi. Um, so, um, as a firm, we've been working remotely. Um, our office closed on uh, March twelfth. Um, and other than our office manager, nobody's been back since. Um, but we've managed to be in touch uh, with every one of our clients. Um, um, right now, we're handling three bankruptcies, as a matter of fact. We're in the midst of three bankruptcies. So our world continues, but just continues remotely. Uh, and, and quite busy, I might add. Yeah, and so so busy it sounds like on sort of bankruptcy restructuring side, but presumably, and you know, this is what I hear, and I'm sure Carol hears from investors that we know. I mean, these are the times when maybe there are some values to be had from a partnering up perspective, from an acquisition perspective. What are you seeing, or Absolutely. is it too early to tell? What well, it's a very it's a really good question. What we're seeing and what we're experiencing are an, an enormous amount of inbound phone calls from opportunistic buyers. Yeah. Um, people who know that there's going to be bargains out there, um, and they're just, you know, they've got a lot of dry powder. These are both, these are both uh, strategics as well as private equity um, who are sitting on, they're sitting on those sidelines right now just waiting to pounce on the right opportunities. I just spoke to a, to a commercial banker this morning, um, and, and the word that they used was the other shoe hasn't dropped yet. Hmm. What we're seeing, while, while there are a lot of bankruptcies in process at the moment, um, there are a lot of companies who really haven't um, acknowledged the fact that they're going to have to make some pretty hard decisions in the next couple of months. Uh, the, the PPP money has, has enabled companies to last a little longer. Um, you know, People wanted to see, company owners wanted to see what would happen when retail reopened. And what the if there would be a positive impact on their business or not, but you know we're living through a period of time at the moment where, for the first time ever, both the supply side and the demand side have been impacted simultaneously. We've never seen anything like that before. Uh, on top of which, on top of which, when this happened, it happened suddenly. You know, all of a sudden doors were locked and people could not shop in stores, and consequently cash flow just dried up. We've never experienced that. You know, in the past, when 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 companies um, are skating, I use the word are skating on thin ice, um, and they they're considering a bankruptcy. You plan it. You plan it for, for sometimes weeks, sometimes months in advance, 
and you're able to come up with a, with a, with a plan of volume and um, because you kind of know what your what your prior year sales were in the similar dates and you could come up with a with a with a financial plan all that's falling apart because there's been there's been no traffic so um you know, Modell's filed for Chapter 11 on March, I think it was March 11th. And right. They couldn't, they, they, they couldn't even run a going out of business sale because the stores were locked. And they're just now reopening. So we've never, we've never experienced anything like this. We've also never experienced the volume of bankruptcies that we're, that we're living through right now. And i got to tell you, I think it's just beginning. You know, um, we're going to see a lot more bankruptcy this time during the balance of this year, maybe into early next year. Um, I, but I, know, I will also tell you that you know, we are overstored as a country. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're over invent. We're also over inventoried as a country. So the fact that um, retail organizations, as an example, are using—I'm using the term—the cover of COVID. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're they're using they're using this period of time to clean up their balance sheets, um, to get out of unproductive leases. You look at like companies like J.C. Penney or um, who have mall stores across America, and you know a lot of those stores are unproductive. They're in C and D malls, so you know they don't. Those are not money-making stores. This gives them an opportunity to, to clean up their balance sheet, get out, get out of unproductive leases, and because it's under the under the cover of, of COVID, they won't have the stigma. Once they come out of it, they're able to rebuild their business. It's kind of like pruning a tree, you know, you prune <laughs> yeah. a tree you, 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 to make it healthier. That's exactly what's happening with those retail organizations who have the ability to get into bankruptcy and have the financing then to come out of it w- w- with a successful plan. Alan, just have about a minute and 30, and then we're going to do some news and we'll come back. So what are the longer-term implications of all of this on, on this industry? Well, there are a couple of things. One is um, we've all been living at home and have a have, a greater respect now for D2C companies, those those companies that we can yeah. buy park online. So we're going to see a lot of growth in D2C, continuing growth in D2C. I believe that we're also going to see a number of heritage companies, companies that have been around for a long time, who have been unsuccessful in building their own D2C companies, buying or, or attempting to buy D2C companies now that they can see the impact. And, and there'll be some values out there. That, um, so we'll see consolidation in, in that area. Um, what we're also going to see is a great deal of promotion coming up over the next couple of months. Um, as, as companies try to clear their inventories, there's right. an, an enormous amount of inventory in the stores, on the water. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's just it, it's built up over a period of time. That inventory has to be moved. Right. It has to be liquefied into cash. Now, there, there are some companies who are packing and holding their goods. Right. Meaning, if, if it's not highly, if it's not high fashion, they're going to just put it away and save those goods till next year. So, Alan, what does the second half look like? Well, it's going to be highly promotional. Um, I think you know the customer will benefit from the uncertainty of inventories out in the marketplace right now. Um, we're going to see a lot more bankruptcies, um, and I, I will, you'll start to see deals happening. Um, I think that by the uh, sometime at the end of the third quarter, early fourth quarter, uh, you'll, 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 you'll start hearing deals um, in process um, because I think people at that point will be getting a little patient. Um, those businesses that um, are planning to continue uh, will need to find um, acquirers or investors who can propel them into the future. Um, 
So there's going to be an enormous amount of activity. And I think it's going to go on for a long time. Mm. I also don't think that from the fashion industry's perspective that we're going to see the settling down until the fourth quarter of 2020. Um, because it's going to take a long time for um, both retailers and suppliers, the vendors and brands that supply retailers, to understand how to right-size their inventories. Yeah. So it's, it, it's going to be quite a while until everybody kind of figures this thing out and, it gets, and there's some normality to it. So, Alan, I have what seems like maybe a silly question, but there actually is something underneath it, which is <laughs> I and my family, and I, I think Carol might be in this category too, but I won't speak for her. I love Marshalls. We love sort of the treasure hunt of that. I have a couple teenage sons who like love going in there and just sort of finding some some good deals. I do wonder in this like inventory glut that you're talking about in the fashion world, I mean, do the TJ Maxx's and the Marshalls sort of benefit from that in terms of like a huge amount that's coming their way? Does the system get overwhelmed? Like how does that play through? Um, you're going to have a great time shopping at TJ Maxx. <laughs> I can tell you that. Score. Um, you know, they, they, look, they were one of the, one of the best performing companies out there. Uh, they don't have a, an online presence because they can't. There's no way right. you can, you can, in a promotional world, you can have an online presence. So you got to be there. You got to be in the stores, but you know, they're the go-to people. When, when people have inventory to sell off, first call that goes out there goes to a TJ Marshall's a Burlington or a Ross store. So they are going to benefit. They also have the cash. They, they can buy as much uh, inventory as they like, and they can put it away for as long as they want. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be party time for you and your family. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of cat T-shirts, I'm just saying. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, but seriously, I mean, it, but, but presumably, like, the quality goes up because there hasn't been a, there, there hasn't been a channel for that stuff, right? The quality will go up. Look, they will have, they'll have, they can pick anything they want. You know, there'll yeah. be a lot of product out there at every level of quality and price point. Um, so, you know, the, the treasure hunters will be out, you know, looking for those bargains. Those stores will be packed, and rightly so. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, you know, Alan, you said earlier we're overstored, we're over inventoried as a country, we and are. I know, I, I know you don't deal with a lot of the. St- storefronts directly necessarily but but what do you think are the brands that are you know this industry so well what do you think the brand are the brands that are most vulnerable at this point that's a really good question um retail brands well look i think it look i think jc penny is going to make it um i know Mm -hmm. there's a lot of question marks about whether they will or not they have been overstored but i think that their ceo is making some really tough decisions so um I, i think they're going to come out of this leaner and meaner. Um, I think as will Macy's. Um, Macy's has a lot of work to do. It too has to close a lot of their stores and and be a much more efficient uh, organization. If you take a look at the amount of underperforming stores that are out there that um, need inventory to keep the doors open, to a great extent, those stores um, and and that inventory is is being supported by the vendors that sell the product to, to retailers. Um, through margin support. If, you, if you're able to clo- get out of those leases effectively and close these stores, um, you, what happens is you become a much more efficient organization. You're buying less inventory, and the benefit is you're less promotional. Because right now, you, because the amount of inventory that I call sloshing around the system, we become, you know, we, we walk into stores and they're highly promotional. Right. You shouldn't have to be. We shouldn't have to go on sale in September with fall goods. Or, or October with fall goods. 
what we need to do also as an industry is just-in-time deliveries. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, stores start to take full goods in in July, right? and they start to promote them around Columbus Day. Right? It, it's, it's, it's unnecessary. It's, it's, a wrong, it's the wrong system. Um, you know, we should be finding a way to it only have it only hurts the first time. If everybody got together and said, let's start receiving full goods in the you know, latter part of August or September um, and not promote those goods out as early as we do. Um, once you get that system right, everybody benefits. Yeah. So I, I, th- I think that what what this these past three or four months have done and, and will continue to do is make everybody look at the retail landscape in a very different way. And kind of sit back and say, you know, we have an opportunity to fix this. Let's let's just do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully it'll happen. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, you, you we can't continue to live in a world that's as that's as promotional as it's been because the consumer never knows what's the right price to pay. Right. Exactly. Now, are they getting a, are they getting fair value or not? No, we're just going to wait for it to go on sale. Well, Alan. So appreciative of you finding some time for us. We really appreciate it and, and absolutely your, your insight on this industry. So a wonderful conversation. Alan, thank you so much. Alan Ellinger, co-founder and senior managing partner of the investment bank MMG Advisors, joining us on the phone in New York City. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. It was a big day for Facebook, and we're increasingly yeah. hearing not a great day, uh, Carol, as their senior management held a call to try and fend off or explain some of what's going on when it comes to hate speech and extremism that is taking root on their platform and has led to a pretty broad boycott. We have the perfect person to help us understand the landscape here. Back with us, Amber Atherton, CEO of Zyper, based out in San Francisco. Uh, Amber, first of all, great to have you back with us. How are you amid all of this? Hello, Jason Carroll. So great to be back. Uh, Yes, all good. Uh, Lockdown in San Francisco. Uh, so very much in the mix of all of this news that's happening. Um, yeah. But yes, it's uh, been a, a pretty exciting time uh, to, to be in the social network space. Well, yeah, no doubt about it. I, but we, I want to know, is your life, is it getting better? Are you able to reach out a little bit more in San Francisco? I think we're coming in these waves of sort yeah. of uh, opening up and then cases spike and then we're locked down again. So I, I feel like this, this might be the, a version of the new normal where yeah. we sort of open up and then get locked down again. Um, but, um, you know, I can think of worse places to be locked down than the sunny Bay Area. So I'm surviving. I hope you guys are too. We are. We are doing okay. I, you know, let's talk about Facebook because you're right. Like, to the social media world is once again on everybody's radar, but not everybody's being treated the same. And I feel like Facebook uh, is getting a lot of criticism in terms of the content that is on their platform. And we know that Mark Zuckerberg, Sheryl Sandberg, they met with leaders from various groups, including the NAACP and the Anti Defamation League. And it's interesting. It sounds like those leaders are not very happy with how the meeting went. Tell us about, you know, where Facebook is and are we going to see brands, consumers and others just continue to lose trust in Facebook unless they change their ways? Yeah, I think, you know, you're completely right, Carol. Like Facebook was at that meeting today and I think they ultimately failed to appease the organizers of the ad ad boycott. So, I mean, what we're seeing from brands is and, and consumers who are leaving the platform is that 
you know, 46% of people who are no longer on Facebook are off the platform because they simply do not trust it with their Mm. personal info. And they do not agree with how the company conducts business. So I think what we're seeing from advertisers is, you know, they want to be where their consumers are. And this is more about advertisers' stance on hate speech and not wanting to support that. Um, However, this is temporary. So um, it's going to be interesting to see if brands in this temporary uh, boycott are able to find new channels for growth. And if that's the case, then I think it's going to be interesting to see where uh, Facebook is left. Well, and and Amber, it, it feels like such a catalytic moment to some extent for a lot of brands, because given the social unrest that's out there, it feels like consumers are demanding more of brands, demanding more transparency, demanding answers, demanding them to some extent to to take a stand. Do you agree with that? I mean, do you see sort of a different, do you see and hear and sort of feel a different tone around brands right now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I can tell you at Viper, our customers who are looking to build community with their customers, um, at least 10 of our customers have joined this Facebook ad boycott. Um, wow. you know, that's Duncan, Frito-Lay. Uh, you know, these are big companies who want to support what their consumers' views are, which is you know, not to fund hate speech. So I think that this is an exciting time for brands to really challenge themselves to innovate on new ways to collaborate with their consumers. And we know that this new generation of Gen Z, you know, they 36% of Gen Z consumers would like to collaborate with the brands that they love. So I think this all plays into this theme that we've been talking about since January, which is the decentralization of Facebook and how, you know, the leading D2C brands who are really on the forefront of innovation are democratizing how they build brands. And it's, it's no longer the kind of status quo of traditional Facebook advertising. And so, Amber, when you say they want to collaborate, they want to engage, like, what does that look like? Give us an example there. Yeah, I think it's probably worth referencing that, you know, uh, this month we signed a big deal with General Mills where we'll be helping a lot of their brands across EMEA to be identifying their everyday consumers. Uh, so these are genuine fans of the brand that don't have a lot of interaction directly with the brand. And we're able to bring them into this closed chat-based environment to collaborate with their consumers on product innovation, kind of like a focus group 2.0, and, and really just prove that customers who become part of a community with a brand, they are 10 times more likely to repeat rates than somebody who was acquired through a Facebook ad. So I think there's some really wow. compelling evidence that if you invest where your customers are and invest in spending time building a relationship in a community setting, then that does pay off in terms of LTV. And I think what we're seeing more brands interested in how can they increase LTV, which will ultimately allow them to spend more on acquisition um, than they are focused on getting cheap acquisition. Because let's face it, Facebook has become more expensive to acquire customers. Well, this is what I wanted to ask you, Amber, because I do feel like a lot of brands still need Facebook. And even though they may be doing a temporary boycott, as you said, let's see if it will be temporary. Because I do wonder if brands kind of ultimately still need that social media platform of Facebook, but as there are more alternatives, might people turn away? And it's just a case of they're just, you know, kind of waiting it out until there are other alternatives to, you know, successfully um, market on social media. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think this is 
I mean, we can't deny the fact that, you know, in the first quarter, uh, there was a gain of around 100 million monthly active users on Facebook. So, you know, 2.6 billion is a record high. So, you know, that is is a a huge reach that brands want to play with. But I think this is more about the values of the platform. And the fact is, TikTok is rising. You know, more customers are saying to us than ever that they can acquire users more cheaply and more effectively through TikTok. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how much of the ad budget these other social networks do end up taking. Um, particularly, this is where Gen Z, you know, like to play the format of the of the social network, the content delivery, the way the ad units are structured is arguably a lot more effective and appealing than Instagram. Hey, Amber, one last question, just quickly, 30 seconds. Do you think Facebook is making a mistake and not making changes and maybe following uh, akin to kind of what we're seeing from Twitter? Just quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I think so, because this new new generation of consumers, they want firm voices, firm leadership. And if consumers want that, then advertisers want that. Absolutely. All right. Well, great to catch up with you. Amber Atherton is Chief Executive Officer of Zyper, based out in San Francisco. That's where we found her in lockdown, uh, as we all are working from home. So uh, great to catch up with her. Thanks so much for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can always listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News.